Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. If you keep getting the same lemons out of your traditional life choices, it might be time to try making some financial lemonade. That's how investor and executive Zach Friedman likes to look at it, and what he advises the folks who read his articles on Forbes or attend one of his presentations. Zach also has a new book, The Lemonade Life, with stories and tips about the aspirational life and how everyone can lead it. In this Hack the Process interview, Zach will tell us how he juggles his writing and speaking career with running a company, why he decided to leave a comfortable CFO role to become an entrepreneur, and what qualities he looks for in a daring disruptor. Today I'm speaking with Zach Friedman, and he is the author of The Lemonade Life. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, David. It's great to be with you. Good. It's really good to meet you. And The Lemonade in Life, obviously, this is about summer drinks, right? Hey, exactly. It's all about lemonade and 25 <laughs> different ways to make lemonade. Perfect. Well, So tell me what the book is actually about. Yeah. So, you know, every day we're all making a choice, whether we realize it or not, uh, to choose one of two paths. On one path is the lemon life and the other is the lemonade life. And the lemon life is really about settling for something less than your full potential. So when you settle, you don't actively control your life path, right? You allow others to shape your destiny. It's really, it's accepting life as it is, right? It's something that's, you're not really making positive changes on a daily basis to reach a desired outcome. The lemon life is more about excuses and entitlement and chasing and pretending. And on the other side of the equation is the lemonade life. And the lemonade life is about really achieving your life on your own terms, and you base it on purpose and possibility. Purpose is the underlying inspiration for your journey. It's the why. It's your life mission. It's why you do what you do. And possibility is infinite opportunity, right? And you combine the two through the nexus of action. And so when you have purpose and possibility in action, you can proactively overcome any circumstances. And it's, it's a guidebook to lead your life on your best terms based on your own definition of success. And so the Lemonade Life that's really what it comes down to. It's an aspirational life, but all of us can lead it. I call it the most exclusive club in the world, but we all have access to it. And it's really about a way to think about success and happiness, but to flip it. So because so many people think about success as working hard for 30 years and then retiring and then, and then being happy and finally getting a chance to enjoy it. But it's actually quite the opposite. What I found studying leaders across business and politics and sports and entertainment is that the most successful people are, are happiest first on the inside. And when you have that inner self-understanding, it really provides the platform to grow and to become successful. So it's actually a reverse definition of what many people think about. So that is the lemonade life in a very short context, but happy to delve into some more of the themes that are in the book because they're, they're quite fascinating and have a lot of applications, not only for your personal life, but also for your career and your business life. I can imagine. And I can't imagine that you came to the idea of writing a book like this without having had some experience yourself having a bit of a lemon life? So for me, I'm certainly far from perfect. None of us are. And I've always been trying to achieve the lemonade life. And I think it's a lifelong process. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm always trying to get better. A lot of that is self-awareness. 
And that's a skill that I've been working on my entire life and something that I continue to work on. But I think at an early age, I really understood myself and knew what I was good at, knew what I wanted to improve in. And I've tried to guide my career towards things that highlight my strengths. I had many friends who would just say, I want to make the most amount of money. I'm, I'm going to go on Wall Street or, you know, if I'm going to be rich and famous, I have to join a tech company in Silicon Valley. There's nowhere else to work but those two places. And I think that misses the picture because so many people are good at other things and they end up falling in this trap of going down a path where they're not truly happy. And then 5, 10, 15 years into their career, they start really saying, oh, wow, you know, I went down the wrong path. I shouldn't have done that. Then they take a step back and realize, wow, I really should have been more thoughtful. And what do I do now? Right. And so that's what this book is about in many ways is how do you avoid that trap and how do you kind of get focused on switching your path from the lemon life to the lemonade life? As part of your research for this book, did you interview a lot of people who had that experience of feeling like they had gone too far down the wrong path? I've spoken to a lot of people over the years. You know, I, I write a column for Forbes that's been read by almost 16 million people now. And a lot of it is on leadership. I interview a lot of leaders across different contexts, authors as well, folks who have run businesses and built businesses. And I've talked to them about some of their very low points in their career and some of their high points in their career, the mistakes they've made, what they've learned. And it's really helped in, ingrain in me a much wider perspective. I love speaking with people, learning about their stories. And certainly I've incorporated a lot of the advice that I've, I've learned from others throughout the years. And I also profile a lot of folks who are well-known I and mean, everyone from Warren Buffett to Jack Ma, Sam Walton of Walmart, celebrities like Tyler Perry and Spester Stallone, all of them are mentioned in the book. And we don't, we don't meet them in the book when they're the most successful, right? We don't mean Sylvester Stallone when he's a very famous actor and writer and producer or, or Sam Walton when he's the billionaire founder of Walmart. We actually meet them at their lowest point in their career when they've lost everything or when they didn't have anything to their name but a dream and ability to execute. So I've always been interested in that story is, you know, how, how do you come from behind to kind of conquer your destiny and, and fuel success and create happiness? And that's, that's really the impetus of the book. And I know that one of the aspects of the book is that you talk about five key switches in people's lives. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. That's a great question. So when I started distilling, when looking and studying other people and what they've been successful at, happiness is really at the center of driving that and a really a self-understanding. I found that there were five key switches, as I, as I call them. You can imagine a light switch. And these are internal switches. They're five behaviors that all of us control and that live inside all of us. And when you switch on those five switches, you create a better life for yourself that's known as the lemonade life. And once you flip those five switches, you're able to see the world in a much more positive light through your perspective. You take better risks and become a better decision maker. You become more independent minded and escape the herd mentality. You have a greater self-awareness, which helps you increase your self-understanding. And you do the hard work and the motion to make lemonade every day of your life. When you do those five things, it creates this unbelievable transformation in your life that helps change and drive your life on a daily basis. Definitely. It makes you want to dive deeper into some of those because those sound like great rewards to get as a result of making those changes. That's right. Absolutely. And, and, and they're, they're easy switches to make. These are concepts that all of us can understand and all of us can appreciate. But a lot of it is, is shifting your focus. You know, I, th I think when it comes to books that kind of teach you how to be better at something, which I think we're all striving to do on some level, the concepts themselves can be very simple or complex. But the actual actions that you take can be quite simple to do. And particularly if you repeat them, they turn through repetition into habits. And when you develop those positive habits, it becomes more seamless and more integrated for you to make those changes and make them more concrete and everlasting in your life. So what was it that made you want to write a book about this right now? 
It's a great question. So I've been always passionate about writing. As I mentioned, I, I've been very passionate about leadership and understanding human psychology, positive psychology, what drives decisions. And this book is really about choices. It's the choices that we all make every single day to lead the life that we decide to lead. And so for me, I, storytelling and providing advice and motivating people and inspiring them to live their best life is something that's very important to me. But I really wanted to bring together this book and kind of tell people that there's an ultimate path that they can take. And it doesn't take tons and tons of work to do. They can find happiness on the inside. It doesn't need to come from external sources, from the media or from celebrities or from your friends. You really have an ability to control your own life and control your destiny. And when you do that, it's an awe-inspiring experience. And you can apply these tenets to your personal life. You can apply it to your career. If you're an entrepreneur, it's a great way to, to start your own company. If you're a business leader, it can optimize processes and, and make you a better decision maker at work. What was it about the place that you are in your career right now that made you think this is the time to write a book? That's a great question. So I, I run a company currently. I'm a founder and CEO of a company called Make Lemonade, which is similar to The Lemonade Life. And Make Lemonade is a financial services company. We're a tech-enabled company that's focused on empowering you to live a better financial life. And so we are a financial comparison site that focuses on personal finance. So our mission is to simplify personal finance for your student loans, student loan refinancing, credit cards, if you want to choose the best credit cards that are right for you, personal loans, debt consolidation, and the like. And so we provide, similar to when you might shop for travel and comparing hotel rooms and flights to find the best hotel or the best route that may work for you, it's the same thing with financial services that we do. And we provide independent uh, product reviews. We have free tools and calculators. Um, and so you can get information very quickly. And so we really want to make that an easier, life-changing experience for our, our consumers. And so that process of kind of simplifying life for people, making it very easy for them, really led into the lemonade life. For me, being an entrepreneur, it's very important for me to be thinking about disruption and innovation and how we can make lives easier for people. And so in the book, I talk about a number of characters that are characters we've all met in our lives. And one of them is called a daring disruptor. And that's really the centerpiece of the book and what you're trying to achieve in a lemonade life. And the daring disruptor is someone who is proactive and unconventional. They think about disruption and transformation. Um, they're trying to be really innovative and try to change the system and look at things from a different perspective. And so for me, that's something that I think about being an entrepreneur on a daily basis is how can I be a daring disruptor? And we see these types of people in all aspects of our lives. You know, Warren Buffett was a big impetus, big inspiration for me. I had an opportunity to have lunch with him and share that story in, in the book as well. And so thinking about these things really made sense for me to write a book and, and, and share my experiences and these great inspirational stories of, of some top business leaders and, and other folks about their stories of greatness. So the process of writing a book, I mean, you, you do enjoy writing, clearly you're prolific, but the process of writing a book, it, it's a bit of a different animal. And I'm curious how you approach that. It is. You're exactly right. It, it is a, it is a huge project and a lot of time, you know, I think I have a, a great appreciation for all authors. I mean, you walk into a bookstore, you see a book, you flip through it and you move on to the next book sometimes, but there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes, much like making a movie, right? You know, a script could be around for 10 years and it bounces from producer to producer and then you write it and you rewrite it and you cast it and, and it's a whole long process that can take a long time. I was fortunate to to work uh, with a great team at, at HarperCollins, which is my publisher, and there's a whole group of people behind the scenes who work very hard. So, you know, I, I wrote the book and then there's a team of editors, 
we have designers and marketing team and, and, and there's a whole team that works together behind the scenes to really make a great finished product. But it does take a long time. You know, I finished the book about a year ago. We've been editing it since. And, you know, obviously you work on design and the endorsements that we've been very fortunate to have in the book. Everyone from Seth Godin, New York Times bestseller, to Marshall Goldsmith, New York Times bestseller, Sean Acor, New York Times bestseller, Beth Comstock, the former GE vice chairwoman, and also an author as well, and other bestsellers like David Novak and David Patrick and others. So I've been very fortunate in that process to have support of some very high caliber New York Times bestselling authors. So it's, it's a whole team effort. And so I always say, you know, my name is on the front cover, and I'm very grateful and fortunate to have that. Well, I think that almost answers my next question, which is why you would choose to go with a publisher in this age of self-publishing. It's a very good question, and it is a choice. There are so many people who decide to self-publish and take ownership over their path, and I, I think that's great. You're right. There is a lot of freedom to do that today, and a lot of people have been successful doing it. For me, it just made sense to work with HarperCollins. I had a, a great relationship with them, and in this genre, they've been very successful. On our imprint alone, we have uh, Rachel Hollis, who's another New York Times bestseller, John Maxwell. Times bestseller, and then within the group you know, at HarperCollins, other other folks as well, like Dave Ramsey and Gary Vaynerchuk. So for me, it made sense to be a part of that team. But I have great respect for folks who who self-publish. And you're right. I mean, with technology today, self-publishing, you can really get your book out and create a very interesting platform for yourself. And I've seen it done with with a number of authors. They've done very well with it, and it gives you more freedom to kind of design everything from your cover design to how your book's laid out, and also been very successful for many people. So I know one of the challenges of working with a publisher is that they serve as a gatekeeper and it's difficult sometimes to land a publishing deal with the publisher that you want. I'm curious how the process went for getting a relationship going with HarperCollins. So HarperCollins uh, was, was very interested in, in the manuscript and working with me from the beginning. And so, you know, typical process for someone who's going to go the publishing route, you typically have an agent and your agent will, with your assistance, if you have a finished manuscript, send out your manuscript to publishers. If you don't have a finished manuscript, it will be off of an idea or off of some book summary that you may have put together or a general proposal. Uh, and then you work with publishers to kind of find the best fit for you and and take it from there. But yes, for, for some, it's a very long and, and arduous and frustrating process. For others, you know, when you can find the right publisher and it works and, and they believe in your story as much as you believe in theirs, it can be a great match. So it sounds like working with a writer's agent was one of the key choices that you made early on. Yes, I, I work. I have an agent, and I think that other folks can either work with an agent if, if possible, and if not, you know, there's certainly paths of successful people who have not worked with an agent. So I, th I think it's a personal choice. And it looks like you do a lot of public speaking as well. Did you use the same agent who works with your public speaking? No, I, I have a speakers bureau and, and, and several speakers bureaus with whom I work. So it's different. My agent is my. I have a literary agent, and then I work with speakers bureaus like Harry Walker, for example. It's an amazing place you've come to in your career. And I'm kind of curious how you got to there from where you started. That's a great question. So I started out out of college working in investment banking. So I've spent a lot of my career in finance. I've always been interested in finance and, and doing deals from a young age. And so I started out in investment banking. It was working at Morgan Stanley in mergers and acquisitions and raising capital for Fortune 500 companies. Got a great grounding in finance and financial services. And after business school and law school, I uh, continued working on Wall Street at Blackstone and later as a hedge fund investor, being a principal investing directly in the company, and then was a CFO of an international energy company, so an opportunity to move to the operating side, and, and then I was sitting on boards of directors. So that had, that had been my path, and then I, I really went into the entrepreneurial phase after serving as a CFO and started my own company, and so that really was the, the very summarized career path. 
and writing had always been a passion of mine as well. So Writing and speaking, clearly. It's an interesting choice to make after having built up a career and becoming to the point where you're a CFO. A lot of people would consider that the culmination of a successful career. What was it that made you feel that you needed to go the entrepreneurial route? I've been very fortunate and I always count my blessings. I Gratitude is something that's very important to me and I reflect on it on a daily basis. You know, for me, I wanted to start a company. I believed in this idea to help simplify financial services. And you're right. You know, many people don't make that switch. And, and that's certainly fine. You know, I wasn't ready for the first 15 years, 10 to 15 years of my career to, to start a business. I, I, I was self-aware enough to know I was not ready to start a, a full-time entrepreneurial venture. But for me, I was ready to take the plunge and I was ready to create Make Lemonade because I believe strongly in the idea. I think there was an opportunity to do so. And we were able to build a company quite quite quickly and partner with some great financial services companies from the get-go. And it's, it's really taken off from there. So if you believe in an idea and you have an ability to execute, entrepreneurship is the greatest form of meritocracy, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have, where you come from, what school you went to, what you did before. If you have a great idea that can revolutionize and disrupt, and you work hard to execute, anyone can make it as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is not right for everybody. Don't, again, don't follow what other people do just because they've done it. You know, you can be just as successful working for somebody else. But if you have the hunger and the heart and you have the idea and you execute on it, really the world is your oyster. So it sounds like the connections that you made through the work that you were doing were, were helpful in terms of starting this first business. They were helpful. And I would say what I've learned along, along the road, you know, successes and failures, you know, it was hel helpful for me to navigate later on when I started my business. You know, I'd watched others, seen what they had done. So trying to model that behavior and then seeing what others had done and failed and trying to avoid that behavior. And so tried to kind of combine the two and put my best foot forward. Were you modeling yourself after anybody when you started your business? It wasn't one person in particular. You know, I, I, I'm a lifelong learner, so I'm constantly trying to meet people and learn from them what I can take away. So whether it's reading a biography and I don't know them, or I've interviewed them directly, or we've had meetings in the past, or mentors that I've had, kind of combining all those experiences together and, and trying to extract the most important learnings. That's been one of the processes. Yeah, mentorship often plays a big role in a lot of people's careers. Have you also served as a mentor for other people? I have, yes. You know, I, I get asked a lot to mentor people. You know, sometimes on a formal basis, sometimes just, you know, someone will read one of my columns or, or see some of my advice on social media and just reach out in a private message and ask for my thoughts. And I try to, I try to provide them, you know, as much as I can. I, I love helping people. People have been very generous to me over the years, and it's very important for me to give back. So if I can help anybody and give advice, I, I really enjoy doing it. I genuinely enjoy giving advice. I don't just write about it. I, I really like helping people and help to change their lives. So if I can help someone in a formal or an informal way as a mentor, I'm more than happy to do it. And you know, clearly the, the articles that you write on Forbes, those are the sorts of things that are really designed to give little nuggets of, of useful information for people. They are. And I, you know, I really believe that if you're going to share advice, you know, it's not just about telling the story. I think there has to be an actionable step at the end, right? People want the information. They want to hear the story. But I think there needs to be concrete actions that are practical, right? A lot of financial content tends to be either high level or basic. And what I like to really do is get into the weeds. And I think about the problems that people are confronting and offer viable solutions of how they can do it so they can cut through a lot of the bureaucracy. When I write content, that's kind of, that's one of my litmus tests is, you know, would I read this? And if I feel comfortable and it excites me when I read it, or if I'm writing something in my book that's inspirational, if I get the chills from writing it. And I know that the content is good, at least from my perspective. Other people may disagree, but 
That's one of the litmus tests I use to make sure it's not trite and it actually is fresh advice that can impact people and help change their lives. That's what keeps people reading, I suppose. And I, I guess my question is, what is your target audience for, for the writing that you do? In the Lemonade Life, it's really for general readers. It's for anybody who is looking for more happiness, more success, more greatness in their lives. So that can be in their personal life, as I mentioned earlier, but it can also be for executives, entrepreneurs, technologists, investors, anyone who's looking to find more efficient processes, a better way to look in a perspective, how to run their businesses more efficiently, how to be an entrepreneur, how to succeed and scale a business, having the right perspective, how do you get more lean processes in your and I think all of those together really make the Lemonade Life interesting because it's written not just for individuals, but also for companies. It's, it's really a metaphor for how companies can think about the world. Putting the Lemonade Life in the context of, of other books that are out there in a similar vein, I'm curious what you feel distinguishes it. I think the stories you're going to hear in this book are amazing. And I think I've included tons of stories in this book, everyone from, as I mentioned, Warren Buffett to Jack Ma of Alibaba. And so I think what you're going to find differently in this book is it's really a, it's a playbook to, to lead your life in the best way. And I think looking at in positive psychology, looking at kind of these behaviors that you can change and you can implement immediately, it's not just inspiration, but it's also backed by science. There's a lot of scientific research in the book, not my own, but from other top science scholars uh, around the world. And then you'll also see ways to implement it. So it's a, comp it's a combination of practical advice. It has kind of the, the science and the research backing, and then it also has very inspirational stories that are real life that you probably haven't heard before. And I think when you combine all those together, it really gives you a playbook for life. And I think that's what makes it unique. I think the Lemonade Life is, you know, really an evergreen concept that all of us can aspire to, but many of us don't. And I think, you know, I'd say a lot of people are stuck in a lemon life and may not even realize it. And the question is, how can you move from a lemon life to the Lemonade Life? I think distilling it down to these five behaviors that you can change, these five switches, that's another characteristic that makes it unique. And it's easy for anyone to move from one life to the other. The process of writing a book while you're also writing all of these articles, while you're also running a company, I'm really curious how you structure your own time. Another good question, David. You asked some, some great questions. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years, you know, a lot of people like to say they're, they're busy. And I used to say that a lot when I was younger. I'm really busy. I'm really busy. I don't have time. But what I found is I actually do have time to do things. It's just about structuring it. And so, you know, what, the way I really think about it is what do I want to achieve in my life? What am I looking to do? And so you highlighted three things that are important to me and, and I'm taking out my, my family, which is extremely important to me. But on my, on my professional side, I'm focused on running a company, writing for Forbes extensively and, and writing a book. And so it's really about, you know, how and when do I do those things and how do I structure my day? And so I spent a lot of time figuring out what's the right formula and how I divide my time among those three pursuits. And I find a way to do all of them. You know, so I, I'm in a rhythm with how I write my columns. I spent certain time writing books, you know, and it doesn't always have to be at a computer. You know, I've written books on airplanes, on you know, trains, planes, and automobiles. I've written in different, different environments. So I'm not someone who just sits in a computer and stares at the screen and, and, and write. You know, I try to, try to stare at the screen, so to speak, in different environments. So sometimes on my phone, sometimes paper by handwriting, sometimes on a computer. So I think by varying it, I try to fit it all in. And I think that gives extra time, so to speak, to do things. And are those three things, the three main things, the ones that I touched on, or are there some others? I also spend time speaking quite a bit. So that certainly takes up my time as well. But, you know, right now, focus certainly on the Lemonade Life and, and sharing that message and spreading it is something that's important to me now. And yeah, you mentioned your speaking career. It's difficult to establish oneself as a speaker. And a lot of people are just afraid of speaking to begin with. I'm curious how you got started with that. 
I always love speaking, you know, going back to high school, I was very fortunate at my high school, we had a, a TV station and we used to broadcast football and basketball games when I was in high school. So we had, you know, multiple cameras and we had a studio and I was the sports commentator. So I started and we had a community television station. This is uh, in Los Angeles where I grew up and I was fortunate enough to serve as the sports commentator. So I got to practice at a young age, I should say, broadcasting basketball games and football games live. We did it live and it was a phenomenal experience. I would do halftime interviews and that really got me interested in speaking. And so I've always enjoyed it. I've always felt comfortable speaking on camera. And, you know, later on over the years, I would give speeches at different points, would always feel comfortable you know, speaking when I was younger with, with management teams or with in other contexts. And then, you know, spent a lot of time on TV doing TV interviews. So I've certainly felt very comfortable with that. And then later with public speaking, meeting people. So I've, I've felt comfortable in that regard. And it's been a wonderful experience. I, I really love audiences and I love feeling that energy. So it's very important to me. I also I just did a TED talk actually a few weeks ago on the secrets to happiness at work. And that'll be coming out uh, this month. So looking forward to everyone hearing that. And, and please let me know what you think. Fantastic. We'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. <laughs> and I've seen you on TV as well. You project a calm confidence when you talk. I'm really curious how you get to the point where you are the person that CNN reaches out to for a commentary on these topics. I've been very fortunate. I think it's just being someone, as you said, that's reliable, knowledgeable, calm and collected, has a good rapport with the folks who are doing the interviews. I think that's that's the strategy. Yeah, I think that definitely helps. And also having an area of expertise that is one that they're calling for. Yes, I think that's right. I think if you have an area of expertise and you can add value and explain sometimes complex subjects in a simple way, I'm a big believer in simplifying things for people, right? And, and you do this very well in your podcast. You know, you talk about a lot of complex topics, but if you can distill it, you know, into either easy sound bites or, or simple ways for people to understand them. And one of the ways you do it so well, David, is you ask great questions. And I think people who can ask great questions can help set the tone and the direction when they're interviewing someone. I think if you can do that for your audience, people can understand it more clearly. And when they do, I think that creates a very good rapport. It's what I do professionally, too. It's when I'm, when I'm coaching executives. I'm basically reflecting back to them those questions that I think they need to ask themselves. Sure. And one, one thing I always like to ask folks is whether there were any early influences who affected your life. I've had many influences in my life, you know, everything from my parents to my grandparents, my wife, who's amazing. Uh, and I've had many professional influences as well. People who, you know, lent a helping hand and helped mentored me over the years and been very generous with their time. And I've, I've tried to model myself after them. You know, they've been very generous to me, whether it's offering advice on, on simple decisions or career paths. And I've tried to, I've tried to give back as much as I can. You know, one of the reasons that I ask is because I know that my, my listeners often like to go look up some of those influences themselves. Sure. That, that, that's fair enough. So Warren Buffett has been a great professional influence on me. I talk about him in the book. He was really helps frame the book quite a bit in thinking about the five switches. He's someone who exemplifies those five behavioral characteristics. And I talk about that in the book. And we had an opportunity to have lunch. And he, he's, been, he's been a, a great role model for me as just one person. So I, I think, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, certainly some of the people that I've interviewed, uh, some other peer authors who some fascinating interviews that I've done in Forbes. So people like Gretchen Rubin, who writes on happiness, Seth Godin, uh, who's a brilliant New York Times bestselling author, um, Sean Acor, who also writes on happiness and success uh, is another great one. And I've interviewed other CEOs too, 
you know, I try to interview people who can teach me and teach the audience. And I try to extract important points that they can share to help you know, lift people up in their careers, talk about their mistakes they've made so that you know, the audience can try to avoid those. Yeah, forming those relationships can be very important. And then creating that sort of social network around yourself of people whom you stay in touch with. I'm curious how you manage that. Building relationships are probably the most important thing, right? And it's more than just handing out business cards or going to a cocktail party or going to a recruiting networking session, right? I think people do that and they say, okay, great. I've handed out 500 business cards. Yes, like I'm, I'm networked. And it doesn't quite work that way. I think if you want to build a relationship, the, the best thing you can do is to focus on the relationship part, right? Don't send someone a blind email and start selling them some amazing product, right? They may not need the product listen to them first, get to know them, offer something of value to them. And, you know, if it makes sense down the road to have some kind of formal business relationship, wonderful. If it doesn't, you know, focus on a personal relationship, build rapport with them, get to know them, see how you can help them and make their life better. I think when you take that approach, it's a much better way to network and to build relationships because people don't like the, the transaction necessarily. It's not the best way to lead. And I think if you want long lasting relationships, focus on adding value, and creating impact to other people. I talk about that in The Lemonade Life. And creating value can sometimes be challenging when you're not in the head of those other people. It, it is, absolutely. And so they have to be able to trust you, right? We're all human beings. We all have the same wants and desires. And if you start coming with this you know, uncomfortable sales pitch on a random topic, and, and you know, you must have this. I, I get this all the time on LinkedIn. You know, I have today, I probably had five requests where someone will just reach out to me with a direct message and try to sell me some product or service I don't need. That's it. There's not like a hello, hey, how are you? Like, I, nice to connect with you. It's literally like, do you want to buy the security software? It's like, <laughs> no, I don't. But hey, nice to meet you too, right? And so I think if people can, again, lead with, with the human element, have empathy, develop a connection. And if you're able to have some business relationship, wonderful. If you're not, just get to know the person, see what you can learn, see what you can teach them. And I think having that symbiotic relationship is much more effective for building. I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm always amazed how many times I get cold reach outs like that. And you wonder why people continue to do it and whether it still works. It, it doesn't work. And I think, I think it's people in organizations that have the wrong cultural mindset. You know, there's a lot of pressure for, for sales folks to you know, hit their quarterly numbers or to hit their sales quotas. And I think those companies and their leadership really need to take a look at, at reevaluating the way that they measure excellence and they measure accomplishments in the organization because Somehow there needs to be some retraining. And I, I think the people who are the best salespeople, again, hammering home the point, it's that human element and that connection where people trust you and they want to cooperate with you. And if they feel comfortable, then they'll buy from you. And again, this is an infinite game. It's not, it's usually not a one-time transaction, meaning, you know, when people negotiate or they try to sell, they're always looking for that immediate sale and they don't really think about the long term. And so you really want to structure your life about thinking for that longer term horizon. That's what the lemonade life is about also. It's not it's not how can you get these short-term wins? How can you feel happy for 10 minutes or for an hour or for a month? It's how can you literally rewire your brain and reorient your mind for a positive perspective and outlook for your entire life? And I think the people who invest in that long-term critical thinking are the ones who are most successful. It's a big challenge. And you mentioned that the book is also targeted at companies. And I know companies are very often driven by that bottom line at the end of the quarter. They are, and, and particularly public companies, right? Because they have the, the 10Q and the 10K filing and they have to kind of hit their, their earnings numbers and the analysts and, and Wall Street will sell their stocks. But you know, I, I think the companies that, that try not to focus on quarterly earnings and try to take a longer approach, those are ones that, that add value and think about their strategic positioning. They think about the competitive landscape 
And the companies that survive are really the ones that adapt to technology. They're ones not necessarily who are at the forefront and the first mover advantage, but they're people who are kind of thinking about the long-term horizon and how they can grow with their customers. And so, yes, they might be trying to meet those quarterly numbers, but I think most companies who are innovative and disruptive are really thinking about how can we change the landscape, recreate our footprint. And I think those are the ones that drive innovation. Yeah, it's very difficult to maintain that perspective. In terms of your own career with the long-term thinking, where you are right now, is that where you expected to be? 20 years ago, it's, I think it's always hard to think about where you, where you want to be. You know, I knew for me, what I wanted to do was kind of push myself on a daily basis to, to, to be my best and to exceed that. So I was always trying to be above and beyond and push myself to new levels, whether it was, you know, working at the White House or, you know, I earned three graduate degrees. I know you're quite a learned scholar as well. And, and so, you know, it's, it's always trying to learn new things and, and trying to push myself and trying to learn new things and trying to push myself and, and create new things and break records. And so I, I think that's the kind of mindset that you need to have to be successful. It's not the way that everybody thinks. It may not be for everybody, but that's what's helped me to be continue to be successful. So looking at where you are right now, can you see what the next threshold might be? The next threshold for me um, is really to get better every day. It's, I, you know, I don't say... Um, necessarily, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z over the next five to 10 years. But, you know, I can tell you, I want to be continue to be successful at my business um, and growing Make Lemonade. Getting the message of the lemonade life out to everybody around the world is something that's very important to me because I think it can change a lot of lives. Continuing to speak, to reach audiences around the world, working with CEOs to improve their organizations. Those are the things that I think about on a daily basis. I'm very happy where I am. Uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate for my life and, and enjoy it. And I think focusing on my pursuits now is where I want to be. I think a lot of people don't stay focused as much. I mean, it, yes, you know, I'm a big believer in goal setting. I talk about in the book about how I set goals and, and kind of the formula for setting goals. And I, I do think goals need to be specific. So you know, please don't don't take this as I'm not thinking about specific goals. But my, my specific goals right now are focusing on the things I just highlighted. I think a lot of people are very quick to jump to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And in the book, I actually call those people a change chaser because they're chasing rather than kind of focusing on being present. And so they're openers, but they're not closers. And so I think it's really important to focus on the pursuits that you're doing. You can still have micro goals that you want to achieve. Certain periods in your life, you may want to you know, hit different stepping stones so you feel like you're moving forward. But you can also move forward, so to speak, when you're still working on your current projects. So I think that's an important differentiation. I think that reflects a certain maturity and that there might even be a generational aspect to that where there's a stage in life when you're seeking that next degree and that next graduate degree, and then another stage in life where you're taking advantage of the things that you already have and trying to, to build out the stability of your current position. You are. And if you own and operate a business, you know, you, you want to scale the business. A lot of people on, you know, I write about this in the book, they talk about, you know, being serial entrepreneurs, right? And some people are serial entrepreneurs. They've actually started, scaled, and, and sold companies. And if they've done that on a repeated basis, they're a serial entrepreneur. But starting a business and then not scaling it and then starting another business and not scaling it or not selling it, it doesn't make you a serial entrepreneur. And so if you have a great business and you enjoy what you do and it's a great idea and it's been executed well, you know, build up that business and focus on it. If it's not working, it's okay to move on to the next. You know, absolutely no one's saying to stick with this forever if it's, you have a losing horse. But if it's something that you really want to build, you know, focus on building on that. That can be your goal of what you want to do next, right? You know, you can focus on your great podcast and making it better and, and, and interviewing great people and making half the process, you know, heard by everybody around the world on a daily basis, right? That can be your goal. You don't need to start five or 10 more podcasts um, as your next thing. So I think, you know, there are different periods in your life where you want to kind of get to the next step. As you said, you know, 
get your degree and you go on to this job and that job and that job. But a lot of times focus on what you have in front of you, do it well, execute it, and then use that win to go to the next win. It's an important lesson for people to hear in these day and age when the 30-year career is kind of a thing of the past and people stay in one company in two or three years and then have to jump on to the next thing, learning to take advantage and make the best of where they are. That's right. The 30-year career is is far and few between today. You know, our, my parents, their parents, you know, were able to get a job and stick with that job most likely for their entire career. You know, today, folks may stay in a job for a year, two years, and then they may, they may leave. You know, I wrote a Forbes column a little while ago, almost half of uh, millennials are looking to potentially leave their job in the next two years. If you believe the survey, you know, those are pretty stark statistics. So it's okay to be mobile in today's world, right? You have people who are freelancing, you have people who are being independent contractors, you have folks who are starting their own business, you have folks who are getting different experiences, and that's great. Have a plan of what you want to do with it. It's okay to leave the company. The companies don't necessarily take care of everybody today like they used to. And so have a game plan, an action plan of what you want to do. It's okay to work at different companies. It's okay to get different skills. Just make sure you're extracting those skills for something that you ultimately want to do. And if you know, here's another advice, piece of advice. You know, if you know you want to do something now, you don't need to work at five more jobs to go do it. I talk about that in the book as well. For example, you know, I, I have you know, friends over the years who have said, I'm going to law school after college, but I don't want to be a lawyer. Okay, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to work at a big firm. And once I work at a big firm and get experience, I want to go work at an investment bank. Okay, so you want to be an investment banker? No, I don't want to be an investment banker. I want to work in private equity. But I have to get the investment banking experience to work in private equity. And then they get the private equity and they say, I want to work in private equity. I want to work at a hedge fund, right? And, and this list goes on and on and on. If you know they want to start a company eventually, right? If you want to start a company today and you have the experience or you have the knowledge or you have a great idea and you can execute on that idea today, then go start your company today. You don't need to do five different levels of, of jobs just to like fill your resume, go do it today and crush it. And, and it's really about thinking about your career and owning it. I think, I think people have to own their career a lot more today than they had in the past. And in the past, you know, you certainly could have climbed the corporate ladder. It might've been not necessarily easier, but it might've been more comfortable for you to stay in the same company. Today, you have to be more nimble, more agile, have an action plan and a game plan and really own your career because no one's going to own it for you, but you. Those are wise words. So for my listeners who want to own their careers and live the Lemonade Life, where should I send them? Well, you can send them to LemonadeLifeBook.com, LemonadeLifeBook.com. They can also text Lemonade to 474747. 47. Lemonade Life, of course, is available wherever books are sold as well. And you can also check out our company, MakeLemonade.co, MakeLemonade.co for Make Lemonade the company. And then my personal website, ZachFriedman.com and on social media. Everyone on social media at Zach K. Friedman. Fantastic. Well, Zach, really pleasure meeting you. And uh, I will definitely be sharing your information with all my listeners. Thank you so much, David. Such a great pleasure. I'm a big fan of you and your podcast. And it's, it's been an honor to speak with you today. Really appreciate it. And thanks to all the listeners as well. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit HackTheProcess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>